In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So God willing, today we're going to continue where we left off last time. Um, last time we finished with Joshua chapter 17, and the whole kind of theme of that part of the book that we were reading had to do with the boundaries and the divisions of the land, um, who got what land, and all the geographic locations that um, delimited the land for each of the tribes um, that we had read about. So there were a lot of names. Um, this time there's also some names, not as much as last time, um, but we're getting close to the end of the book. Um, maybe um, if we get through um, what I'm planning for this time, then maybe next time will be the last week um, for the book of Joshua. Okay. So in, in chapter 18, it says, Now the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacle of meeting there, and the land was subdued before them. So Shiloh was a city that they had uh, put the tabernacle, and the tabernacle was to remain there for a long time. Um, and this is where everyone would come in order to offer the sacrifice. So up until this point, the tabernacle was traveling around with the people as they were moving. Of course, in the wilderness for 40 years, they would pack up the tabernacle, carry it with them according to God's commandment of how it should be transported, um, and then set it up uh, each place that they camped. Um, and now, as they were traveling in the midst of the land of Canaan, um, up until now, they have been also carrying it with them. But now this is going to be kind of like a semi-permanent location where they would put it up and people would come to the tabernacle. But there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. Then Joshua said to the children of Israel, How long will you neglect to go and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers has given you? So the, the main tribes at this point that had kind of settled in their place um, among all of the twelve tribes were the tribe of Judah, Ephraim, and Manasseh, okay? And after having received the land, they were very keen to settle and to establish themselves in this land, and all of the victories that the people of Israel had had up until this point, they were, you know, beginning to feel a little complacent, okay? Um, and so even though the rest of the tribes had not yet received the land, um, but, but you know, the tribes that had received it, they were happy with what they have achieved so far. And there was less of a push than at the beginning to kind of keep driving forward to drive out the rest of the enemies of Israel and to possess the land which God has said to them. So this is kind of an analogy for our own spiritual life that sometimes when we make some progress or we feel like, you know, let's say we are struggling against sin, um, a specific sin, and we find that for a period of time we are succeeding. Like we are, we are able to overcome it. We feel like we have made progress than we used to. And so um, at some point we begin to feel like less uh, diligent or less vigilant. We begin to let our guard down because we feel like we have conquered something that used to be um, something that was troubling us. So maybe like we, we always had to be very careful the way that we lived in a certain way or the people we spoke with or the things that we allowed ourselves to do. And then having experienced some of this spiritual success and overcoming some bad habits, we begin to say, okay, well, you know, I've conquered this now, so I can begin to 
ease my restrictions on myself. I can begin to take things a little more lightly, maybe allow myself to do some of the things that I had stopped doing, which were kind of the things that led me to sin, because I feel like now I've overcome. We spoke about this actually in the Harvest Meeting about the diabolic wars, that, that one of the ways that the devil fights us is like uh, a period of rest or a period where we are left alone, where we are not being attacked. And so during that period of time, we falsely believe about ourselves that we have conquered, you know, that we have achieved something um, and that we will not be plagued with those same temptations again. We will not be plagued and we have overcome. And that's kind of what sets us up actually for a failure because it's not that necessarily that anything fundamentally has changed. It's like maybe we are successful because we are careful, we are disciplined, we are doing the things we should be doing. But that doesn't mean that we can just go back to the previous way and that we are strong because we're not really strong. We are, we are just careful, we are, we are disciplined. So here also the Israelites having achieved this kind of temporary success of everything that they have achieved so far, they see how God is with them, they see how uh, everything that they're doing is prospering, and so at some point they begin to feel like they are strong. You know, it's hard for them to, to realize or to always keep in their mind that the reason that they are strong is because God has made them to be strong, not because they are strong in and of themselves. So when God is telling them, go and conquer the rest of the land, then I will be with you in the land. Uh, I will be with you in the fights. But at some point, after seeing that the people are no longer warring, they are no longer fighting, they are no longer driving out the people as before, God explicitly tells them, I will no longer be with you in your fighting because you have not followed my commandment and you've allowed all these people to remain. And so it kind of they had like a false self-image of themselves. They had a false image of the strength that they had, that they were not um, as strong as they believed. So here we see um, that, that kind of the sluggishness is beginning to kind of appear, is beginning to enter. They are sluggish. They, they have been warring for many years, um, and now they are wanting to settle they feel like they are strong. They are not as diligent to go and to fight. And, and, and that's why here Joshua is saying to the people, how long will you neglect to go and possess the land, right? Um, how, how long will you neglect to go? Um, the other thing we can kind of learn from this is how when there is a specific group of people that is content with where they are, sometimes th that group of people neg neglects the needs of the other people around them. So, for instance, we in the church... Right when when God is calling us to evangelize, He's calling us to go uh, and to see the people who are outside and to bring them to the inside. Maybe one of the reasons that we find it difficult to do so, or that we, um, you know, are sluggish to do so, or not as motivated to do so, is because we are content with where we are. You know, we look around us and we are content. We have we have the Ark of Salvation. We have the sacraments. We have the Holy Bible. We have the writings of the Church Fathers. We have. Um, you know, the prayers and the liturgies, like we have everything that has been given to us and we are content with this. We feel like this is good, like I have security here. I feel like I have everything that I need for my salvation here. And so in our contentment, sometimes we neglect to go beyond kind of where we are and to try to bring other people into this as well. This is why when, when Moses was um, telling um, the tribes that were going to dwell on the east side of the Jordan. He told them you can keep this land on the east side of the Jordan, but only if you go and you fight with the rest of your brethren to take the land that is, um, in the, uh, you know, to take the rest of the land of Canaan. Don't just settle and be content with your settlement and then do nothing else 
right? And just let everyone else fight for themselves. He said, no, go and fight with them. So we also in the church are called to go and, you know, in a kind of a proverbial sense, to go and to fight. Like we are, we, we shouldn't just stay and be content and happy that we have been given this, but God is asking us to go and to share this salvation that we have received um, with other people. Pick out from among you three men for each tribe, and I will send them. They shall rise and go through the land, survey it according to their inheritance, and come back to me. So he's trying to like have a new initiative to go and to capture and to attain all the remaining land. So he's saying each of the tribes that has yet to receive that inheritance, um, choose three men and go and, be and come back with a survey of the land so they can see what, what needs to be done. And they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall remain in their territory on the south, and the house of Joseph shall remain in their territory on the north. So remember, the house of Joseph is both the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh. Okay? They're the ones that had settled. You shall therefore survey the land in seven parts and bring the survey here to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. Okay? So, so he wants them to take the remaining land, survey the land, bring it back so that he can continue casting lots as he had started before for the remaining uh, tribes. But the Levites have no part among you, for the priesthood of the Lord is their inheritance. And Gad, Reuben, and half the tribe of Manasseh have received their inheritance beyond the Jordan on the east, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave them. So we've spoken about this. Then the men arose to go away, and Joshua charged those who went to survey the land, saying, Go, walk through the land, survey it, and come back to me, that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord in Shiloh. So the men went, passed through the land, and wrote the survey in a book in seven parts by cities. And they came to Joshua at the camp in Shiloh. Then uh, Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord. And there Joshua divided the land to the children of Israel according to their divisions. Now the lot of the tribe of the children of Benjamin came up according to their families, and the territory of their lot came out between the children of Judah and the children of Joseph. Okay, so he's, he's determining now these borders, okay? So the children of Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, their lot came up uh, between Judah and, and the children of Joseph, which again is Ephraim and Manasseh. Their border on the north side began at the Jordan, and the border went up to the side of Jericho on the north and went up through the mountains westward. It ended at the wilderness of Beth-Avon. The border went over from there toward Luz, to the side of Luz, which is Bethel, southward, and the, and the border descended to Ataroth-Adar, near the hill that lies on the south side of lower Beth-Horon. Then the border extended around the west side to the south from the hill that lies before Beth-Horon south southward, and it ended at Kirjath-Baal, which is Kirjath-Jerim, a city of the children of Judah. This was the west side. The south side began at the end of Kirjath-Jerim, and the border extended on the west and went out to the spring of the waters of Neftoa. Then the border came down to the end of the mountain that lies bef before the valley of the son of Hinoam, which is in the valley of Rephaim, on the north, descended to the valley of Hinoam, to the side of the Jebusite city on the south, and descended to Enrogel. And it went around from the north, went out to en Shemesh, and extended toward Gililoth, uh, which is before the ascent of Adumim, and descended to the stone of Bohan, the son of Reuben. Then it passed along toward the north side of Arabah, and went down to Arabah, and the border passed along to the north side of Beth Hogla. Then the border ended at the north bay at the Salt Sea, at the south end of the Jordan. This was the southern boundary. 
The Jordan was its border on the east side. This was the inheritance of the children of Benjamin according to its boundaries all around according to their families. Now the cities of the tribe of the children of Benjamin according to their families were Jericho, Beth Hogla, Emek Kaziz, Beth Araba, Zemarim, Bethel, Evim Para, uh, Ophrah, Chephar, Hamoni, Ophni, and Gaba, 12 cities with their villages. Gibeon, Ramah, Biroth, Mizpah, Chephira, Moza, Rechem, Erpil, Tarala, Zila, Eleph, Jebus, uh, which is Jerusalem, Gibeath, and Kirjath, 14 cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the children of Benjamin according to their families. Okay, so that was the children of Benjamin. The second law came out for Simeon, for the tribe of the children of Simeon, according to their families, and their inheritance was within the inheritance of the children of Judah. They had in their inheritance Beersheba, Molada, Hazar Shual, Bala, Yezem, Eltolan, Bethul, Horma, Ziklag, Beth Markoboth, Hazar Susa, Beth Lebeoth, and Sharuhan, 13 cities and their villages. Ain, Rimen, Ether, and Eshan, four cities and their villages, and all the villages that were all around these cities as far as Beleth Beer, Ramah of the south. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Simeon according to their families. The inheritance of the children of Simeon was included in the share of the children of Judah, for the share of the children of Judah was too much for them. Therefore the children of Simeon had their inheritance within the inheritance of that people. The third lot came out for the children of Zebulun, according to their families, and the border of their inheritance was as far as Sarid. Their border went toward the west, and Tomorala went to Dabesheth and extended along the brook that is east of Jokanim. Then from Sarid and went eastward toward the sunrise along the border of Chithsloth, Tabor, and went out toward Deberath, bypassing Japhia. And from there it passed along the east of Gath, Hefer, toward Eth Kazin, and extended to Rimon, which borders on Nia. Then the border went around it on the north side of Hanathon, and it ended in the valley of Jiphtha uh, El. Included were Katath, Nahlel, Shimron, Edala and Bethlehem, twelve cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the children of Zebulun according to their families, these cities with their villages. The fourth lot came out to Issachar for the children of Issachar according to their families, and their territory went to Jezreel and included Cheseloth, Shinuim, Haphraim, Shion, Anahrath, Rabith, Kishion, Abez, Remeth, Enganim, Enhada, and Beth Pezez. And the border reached to Tabor, Shehezimah, and Beth Shemesh. Their border extended to at the Jordan, 16 cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Issachar, according to their families, the cities, and their villages. The fifth lot came out for the tribe of the children of Asher, according to their families. And their territory included Helkath, Hali, Beten, Akshva, Alamelech, uh, Ahmed, and Mishal. It reached to Mount Carmel westward along the brook Shehor Libnath. It turned toward the sunrise to Beth Dagon, and it reached to Zebulun and to the valley of Jiphtha El. Then northward beyond Beth Amek and Niel, bypassing Kabul, which was on the left, including Hebron, Rehob, Haman, and Kena, as far as Greater Sidon. And the border turned to Ramah and to the fortified city of Tyre. Then the border turned to Hosa and ended at the sea by the region of Akzib. 
Also, Uma, Afak, and Rehob were included, 22 cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Asher, according to their families, these cities with their villages. The sixth lot came out to the children of Naphtali, for the children of Naphtali, according to their families. And their border began at Helef, enclosing the territory from the Terebinth tree in Zeanim, Admai, Nekeb, and Jabneel. As far as Lekum, it ended at the Jordan. From Helef, the border extended westward to Asnath Tabor and went out from there toward Hukok. It adjoined Zebulun on the south side and Asher on the west side and ended at Judah by the Jordan toward the sunrise. And the fortified cities are Zidim, Zer, Hamath, Rakath, Chinnereth, Adma, Ramah, Hazor, Kadesh, Edri, and, and Hazor, Iron, Midgal, El, Horem, Beth, Anath, and Beth Shemesh. Nineteen cities with their villages. This was the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Naphtali, according to their families, the cities, and their villages. The seventh lot came out for the tribe of the children of Dan, according to their families. And the territory of their inheritance was Zorah, Eshtiol, Ir Shemesh, Shabalin, Shalabin, Aijalon, Jethla, Elon, Timna, Ekron, uh, Eltaka, Gibbethon, Balath, Jehud, Ben, Barak, Gath, Rimmon, Jarkon, and, J and Rakon with their region near Joppa. And the border of the children of Dan went beyond these because the children of Dan went up to fight against Leshem and took it. And they struck it with the edge of the sword, took possession of it, and dwelt in it. They called Leshem Dan after the name of Dan their father. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Dan, according to their families, these cities with their villages. When they had made an end dividing the land as an inheritance according to their borders, the children of Israel gave an inheritance among them to Joshua, the son of Nun. So what's interesting is that after every single other person um, received the inheritance of the land, which again is, is many, many names, we see that Joshua is the one who received at the very end. Right? Joshua, who was the leader of the people, he is the one who received his own inheritance, but after every single other person had received the inheritance. And Origen, he speaks about this and he says, what beauty and humility does that phrase reveal about Joshua? He was truly worthy to bear the name Joshua, our Lord and Savior, because Joshua means Savior. So, so he's saying how, how Joshua was working as a servant for the sake of the people and not looking to enrich himself or use his position of leadership as a way to gain power or prominence or wealth for himself. Also in Sirach chapter 3, verse 7, it says, If you are chosen a ruler, do not get haughty, but let yourself be as one of them. Like Joshua did not consider himself higher or greater than anyone, but he allowed himself to be just as one of the people and even less than the rest because he received his inheritance at the end. And this idea is something that is very lost in our generation and our culture. The idea that the leader is not going to enrich himself or herself with the, the, by the position that they have received. We see actually the opposite. We see people wanting to be in a position of leadership so that they could have power, so that they could have authority, so that they could enrich themselves. And this uh, like damages and harms the whole purpose of their role. Instead of working toward the good of the whole, they work only toward their own personal good. 
And, and this is something that in the church or in any organization can cause havoc and destruction because when someone is not working toward the goal of the whole group, it, is, it, is, um, it can be very damaging to that group. And of course, we know the Lord Jesus Christ said to the apostles, whoever wants to be the greatest is the one who should be the least. And the one who wants to be the first is the one who should be the last. And we try to apply this principle in the church um, that, that all of us collectively who, who are involved in any kind of service, always put ourselves last and put those whom we serve above us. Yes. Yes. It says that Bethlehem was given to Zebulon. So uh, wasn't David from the tribe of Judah? Yes. There's more than one Bethlehem. Oh, there's more than one. There's one more than one Bethlehem, I believe. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I think I think so. I think so. Okay. According to the word of the Lord, they gave him the city which he asked for, Timnath Sirah, and the mountains of Ephraim, and he built the city and dwelt in it. So this is Joshua. This is the city that he um, received for his own inheritance. These were the inheritance which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel divided as an inheritance by Lot and Shiloh before the Lord. At the door of the tabernacle of meeting, so they made an end of dividing the country. So at this point, everything had been divided. The next point of order was what are called the cities of refuge. The Lord also spoke to Joshua, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, Appoint for yourselves cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood. And when he flees uh, to one of those cities and stands at the entrance of the gate of the city and declares his case in the hearing of the elders of that city, they shall take him into the city as one of them and give him a place that he may dwell among them. Then if the avenger of blood pursues him, they shall not deliver the slayer into his hand because he struck his neighbor unintentionally but did not hate him beforehand. And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment and until the death of one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. So what do you think about this? What is the point of these cities of refuge? What is the function that they are playing in the society? So what are the cities of refuge? You want to read it again? Okay, then read it again. So he says, "What appoint for yourself cities of refuge, of which I spoke to you through Moses, that the slayer who kills a person accidentally or unintentionally may flee there, and they shall be your refuge from the avenger of blood." So what are these cities? Cities of refuge are uh, where a slayer of a person unintentionally can go to, and uh, yeah. And why would they need to go there? Because uh, otherwise, there will be there there will be taken revenge from the other person. 
or from the from other like family. the family of the other person or something. Okay, so so yeah, so if if you do something that's like involuntary manslaughter, you you didn't intend to kill anyone, but through some kind of accident, someone is killed, and so the pe the people who are let's say the relatives of that person who died are seeking from you your blood to kill you as a revenge for what you did. So these cities that were spread out throughout the region were there so that people who this happens to can flee and go there to escape in a place that they will be protected. Okay? And now how long do they live there? Hmm? Forever? Because well, because if they leave at any time, right, someone could kill them, right? So, But is is that what they said? How long do they live there? The high priest dies? They live until the high priest dies. Okay? Because it says here, And he shall dwell in that city until he stands before the congregation for judgment and until the death of the one who is high priest in those days. Then the slayer may return and come to his own city and his own house to the city from which he fled. What does the high priest have anything to do with this? Okay, symbolizes Christ. The high priest is a symbol of Christ. Okay, so what does the death of the high priest represent? The death of Christ, and the death of Christ brought brought freedom, brought salvation, brought forgiveness, right? So the person who is like condemned but kind of protected in these cities of refuge, after the death of the high priest, then they were free to go and no one can harm them, okay? So it's, it's a very beautiful symbol, you know? Uh, and of course, you know, uh, at the time they didn't understand this. They didn't understand what the symbolism was about. But we, looking back at it now, can see the symbolism, right? We can see that when, when the high priest dies, now it's like all the people who are in these cities of refuge can suddenly return home. can only imagine what happens to these cities of refuge. Like they were full and then suddenly they're empty, you know, after the death of the high priest, right? So um, so that's that's what it means. So they appointed Kadesh in Galilee, and the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem and the mountains of Ephraim, and Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, and the mountains of Judah. And on the other side of the Jordan, by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness of the plain, from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth, and Gilead, and from the tribe of Gad, and Golan, and Bashan, and from the tribe of Manasseh. These were cities appointed for all the children of Israel and for the stranger who dwelt among them, that whoever killed a person accidentally might flee there and not die by the hand of the avenger of blood until he stood before the congregation. Right. So there will be a there will be a trial. Right. It's not like it's not like he's just free and nobody. No, there's a trial. But what he's doing here is he's being protected from those people who want to take revenge against him for what happened. Right. So they will determine the judgment will determine whether he actually is at fault or not. Right. But this is the place where he is protected and can remain there until the death of the high priest. Okay? Did you have a question? Okay. And you can see here on the map, the, the cities are, are spread out throughout the whole country. Okay? Next is the cities of the Levites. 
Then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came near to Eleazar the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the children of Israel. And they spoke to them at Shiloh, in the land of Canaan, saying, The Lord commanded through Moses to give us cities to dwell in with their common lands for our livestock. So the children of Israel gave to the Levites from their inheritance at the commandment of the Lord these cities and their common lands. Okay, so there were 48 cities of the Levites that were spread out throughout all of Israel. Okay, um, and, and, and again, as we said before, the priests were spread out and living among all of the people because people needed to have access to the priests, right? So it's not that the priests could have one region for themselves. Everyone had to be able to go and to live um, with them. So it says something about kind of the role of the priest as a pastor, the pastoral care of the priest, that he has to be present with the people, right? And he is, he is accessible and available to the people who need him, whether it be through like a personal communication, whether it be through the officiation of the prayers and the sacraments and so on, that he is there as a servant of the people and for the sake of the salvation um, of the people. Okay. Now the lot came out for the family of the Kohathites. The Kohathites are, 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 are a group of the Levites. And the children of Aaron the priest who were of the Levites, had 13 cities by lot from the tribes of Judah and from the tribe of Simeon and from the tribe of Benjamin. The rest of the children of Kohath had 10 cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Ephraim and from the tribe of Dan and from the half-tribe of Manasseh. And the children of Gershon had 13 cities by lot from the families of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh and Bashan. The children of Merari, according to their families, had 12 cities from the tribe of Reuben, from the tribe of Gad, and from the tribe of Zebulun. And the children of Israel gave these cities with their common lands by lot to the Levites, as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. So they gave from the tribe of the children of Judah and from the tribe of the children of Simeon these cities, which are designated by name, which were for the children of Aaron, one of the families of the Kohathites, who were of the children of Levi, for the lot was theirs first. And they gave them Kirjath Arba, Arba was the father of Anak, which is Hebron, and the mountains of Judah, with the common land surrounding it. But the fields of the city and its villages they gave to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as his possession. Thus, to the children of Aaron the priest, they gave Hebron with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer, Libna with its common land, Jeter with its common land, Eshtemoa with its common land, Holon with its common land, Deber with its common land. Ain with its common land, Juta with its common land, and Beth Shemesh with its common land, nine cities from these two tribes and from the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeon with its common land, Geba with its common land, and Anathoth with its common land, and Almon with its common land, four cities. All the cities of the children of Aaron the priests were thirteen cities with their common lands. And the families of the children of Kohath, the Levites, the rest of the children of Kohath, even they had the cities of their lot from the tribe of Ephraim. For they gave them Shechem with its common land in the mountains of Ephraim, a city of refuge for the slayer, Gezer with its common land, Kibzaim with its common land, and Beth Horon with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Dan, Eltekeh with its common land, Gibbethon with its common land, Aijalon with its common land, and Gathriman with its common land, four cities. And from the half tribe of Manasseh, Tanakh with its common land, and Gathriman with its common land, two cities. All the ten cities with their common lands were for the rest of the families of the children of Kohath. Also to the children of Gershon, 
of the families of the Levites from the other half-tribe of Manasseh. They gave Golan and Bashan with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer, and B. Eshterah with its common land, two cities. And from the tribe of Issachar, Gishion with its common land, Deborath with its common land, Jarmuth with its common land, and Inganim with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Asher, Mishael with its common land, Abdon with its common land, Elkath with its common land, and Rehob with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Naphtali, Kadesh in Galilee with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer, Hamath-dor with its common land, and Kartan with its common land, three cities. All the cities of the Gershonites, according to their families, were thirteen cities with their common lands. And to the families of the children of Merari, the rest of the Levites, and from the tribe of Zebulun, Joknim with its common land, Karta with its common land, Dimna with its common land, and Nahalal with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Reuben, Bezer with its common land, Jehaz with its common land, Kedemoth with its common land, and Mephath with its common land, four cities. And from the tribe of Gad, Ramoth and Gilead with its common land, a city of refuge for the slayer, Mahanaim with its common land, Hezbon with its common land, and Jazer with its common land, four cities in all. So all the cities were the children of Merari according to their families. The rest of the families of the Levites were by their lot twelve cities. All the cities of the Levites within the possession of the children of Israel were forty-eight cities with their common lands. Every one of these cities had its common land surrounding it. Thus were all these cities. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. So God is, is essentially saying, now you have kind of, this is the, you know, one of the major fulfillments of the covenant that God had given to um, Abraham from the very beginning, right? The idea that, that he would be uh, the father of a mighty nation, okay? And this milestone that they're reaching now, that they have actually conquered the land, right? And they have taken full possession of it, and all of the land is divided up, right? This is a, a major milestone. He's saying, not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel, all came to pass. It says something about, like, when God makes a promise, you know, like he sees so far and ahead and he, he, he knows what is going to come. You know, at some point someone could have said um, when all the nation of Israel, when all the Hebrew people were slaves in Egypt, how is it possible ever that God's um, uh, that God's promise was actually going to take place? How is it that it would come to pass that everything that God said to Abraham would actually happen because these people are slaves, right? And yet God had a plan to free them from their slavery. Then when the people were wandering in the desert, someone could have said again, how is it possible that God's plan could come to pass when we are here wandering in the desert? Or when, or when they saw the land that was filled with giants, how is it that we can conquer them? How is it that God is going to fulfill his covenant? So all of these things we see now kind of in hindsight, seeing what actually came to pass, what actually God told them to do, how God was with them in the battles, how God allowed them to divide up the land and to conquer it. Maybe no human being could have looked from the past into the future and known this is the details and this is everything that would have happened, and yet we see how God was you know, prepared it all ahead of time. He led the people into this ahead of time, but the one thing that he didn't do is he didn't tell them beforehand what was going to happen, right? And this is something that we see kind of as a common, a, a common characteristic of God 
and how he deals with us is he doesn't tell us the future, rarely. Or if he tells us, he tells us just as much as we need to know in order to know what is the next step for us to take. But he doesn't tell us the whole plan from beginning to end, but he relies on that when the moment comes for us to act, that we will act in faith and that we trust in him. So when we also, you know, God has given us promises or we are looking to God for help in our, in our life, in our situations, it's easy for us to look around us and see kind of desperation when we feel like there is no way God is able to accomplish, you know, or, or to answer my prayer. And yet we see in the life of his people, there are many, many things that God fulfilled and, and, and accomplished in its due time, whenever the time was right. If he hasn't done it, then maybe the time is not right yet. Maybe we have to wait a little longer, but there will be a time where God will act. And, and, and we see it here. Everything came to pass. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. And all of these things had been spoken of for years and years and years beforehand, right? God fulfilled everything. Then Joshua called the Reubenites, the Gadites, and <coughs> half the tribe of Manasseh, and said to them, You have kept all that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, and have obeyed my voice in all that I commanded you. You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. So he's speaking to who now? He's speaking to those tribes who had requested from Moses to dwell on the east side of the Jordan, the ones whom Moses said, um, okay, but come and fight with your brethren, okay, first, and then go and take your land, right? You have not left your brethren these many days up to this day, but have kept the charge of the commandment of the Lord your God. And now the Lord your God has given rest to your brethren, as he promised them. Now therefore return and go to your tents and to the land of your possession, which Moses the servant of the Lord gave you on the other side of the Jordan. But take careful heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses the servant of the Lord commanded you, to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. He's giving them this uh, kind of very um, powerful kind of send-off. He's saying, go and live there, but remember how you should live. Remember where you came from. Remember your origin. Remember who you serve, right? And continue to live that way even when you live on that side of the Jordan. So Joshua blessed them and sent them away, and they went to their tents. Now to half the tribe of Manasseh, Moses had given a possession in Bashan, but to the other half of it, Joshua gave a possession among their brethren on this side of the Jordan, westward. So that's why we call it the half tribe. Part of the half tribe was on one side, and the other half of the tribe was on the other side. And indeed, when Joshua sent them away to their tents, he blessed them and spoke to them, saying, Return with much riches to your tents with very much livestock, with silver, with gold, with bronze, with iron, and with very much clothing. Divide the spoil of your enemies with your brethren. So the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and, the half, the, and half the tribe of Manasseh returned and departed from the children of Israel at Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan, to go to the country of Gilead and to the land of their possession, which they had obtained according to the word of the Lord by the hand of Moses. 
And when they came to the region of the Jordan, which is in the land of Canaan, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh built an altar there by the Jordan, a great and impressive altar. Okay, so why did they build this altar? Okay, where were they supposed to offer sacrifice? In Shiloh, which is, w what is in Shiloh? The, the, the tabernacle, right? That's where they were supposed to offer sacrifice. Okay, but they're building an altar here. Okay. Huh? Political? Like... You're saying because it was far away to go to Shiloh, so they would have an altar closer to them? Okay. Maybe. Let's keep reading. Now the children of Israel heard someone say, Behold, the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh have built an altar on the frontier of the land of Canaan in the region of the Jordan on the children of Israel's side. And when the children of Israel heard it, the whole congregation of the children of Israel gathered together at Shiloh to go to war against them pretty intense for just building an altar right why why are they wanting to go to war against them okay so maybe they thought they were going to offer sacrifices to different gods okay So maybe they, they, they saw that they had, like, become a separate nation, okay? But still, like, the idea of, like, the, the idea of going to war was specifically related to the building of the altar, okay? So, again, remember what we said is that the only place that they were supposed to offer a sacrifice was in Shiloh, in the tabernacle, okay? So the fact that they are uh, building an altar, the rest of the tribes felt that this means that they are like yeah like they're declaring an independence they are no longer associated with them and now they are disobeying god's commandment by offering a, a, a sacrifice on this other altar okay then the children of israel sent phinehas the son of eliezer the priest to the children of reuben to the children of gad and to the half tribe of manasseh so these are the tribes that are on the east side of the Jordan, that built this altar, into the land of Gilead, and with them ten rulers, one ruler each from the chief house of every tribe of Israel, and each one was the head of the house of his father among the divisions of Israel. So they're sending like this assembly of people to go and talk to them. Then they came to the children of Reuben, to the children of Gad, and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, to the land of Gilead, and they spoke to them with them, saying, Thus says the whole congregation of the Lord, what treachery is this that you have committed against the God of Israel to turn away this day from following the Lord and that you have built for yourselves an altar that you might rebel this day against the Lord? Is the iniquity of Peor not enough for us from which we are not cleansed till this day? Although there was a plague in the congregation of the Lord, what is the iniquity of Peor? Not the golden calf. This happened in the book of Numbers. The book of Numbers chapter 25. 
where the people met with the Moabites and they committed sin with the Moabite women in Peor, right? And one of the things that the Moabites did is they incited the Israelites to lust after their women and they would fall into sin with them. And this was the iniquity of Peor, okay? That, that God sent them um, a, a plague as a result of that, okay? So essentially saying like, we have already committed enough sin against God. We don't need now to add to that sin by committing the sin as well of offering the sacrifices on an altar that is not sanctioned by God. But that you must turn away this day from following the Lord. And it shall be, if you rebel today against the Lord, that tomorrow he will be angry with the whole congregation of Israel. So as we've seen before, whenever one person sinned, God was upset with the whole congregation. Like when Achan sinned by stealing of the accursed things from the city of Jericho and hiding it in his tent, it said that God was uh, displeased with the entire congregation. Okay? So here the, the people are saying, when you commit this sin, this is going to be reflected on all of us, not just you by yourself. Nevertheless, if the land of your possession is unclean, then cross over to the land of the possession of the Lord where the Lord's tabernacle stands. So he's saying, you had the option to take your possession on our side of the Jordan where the tabernacle is, and so you will be close to the tabernacle. You are the one who decided to go to this other area. You are the one who chose this area that is farther away from the tabernacle. So now you are building your own, like you're building your own altar. So he's saying, where the Lord's tabernacle stands and take possession among us. Come and take your land among us. And that way you, you serve God in the way he commanded. But do not rebel against the Lord, nor rebel against us by building yourselves an altar besides the altar of the Lord our God. Did not Achan, the son of Zerah, commit a trespass in the accursed thing, and wrath fell on all the congregation of Israel? And that man did not perish alone in his iniquity. I mean, other people died as a result of his sin, you know. Um, uh, many, many people died in the battle against the city of Ai where God allowed them the God was not with them in the battle so the, the people who were going to war against Ai they, they died then the children of Reuben the children of Gad and, the, and half the tribe of Manasseh answered and said to the heads of the divisions of Israel the Lord God of gods the Lord God of gods he knows and let Israel itself know if it is in rebellion or if in treachery against the Lord, do not save us this day. So what are they saying? What does that mean? So in the in the Old Testament Whenever they repeat something, it's like a for emphasis. So he says, the Lord God of God, the Lord God of God. So it's like he's like he's like almost like swearing <laughs> by the name of God. He's saying he's saying God knows God knows. And, and, and you also should know that if we have committed this as a rebellion or treachery, then 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 we are we're saying God should not save us. Like like we are not asking for God to defend us. We're not asking for God to save us against your accusation if we have done this treacherously because God knows that we have not done this treacherously. God knows that this is an innocent act that we have done. If we have built ourselves an altar to turn from following the Lord or if to offer on it burnt offerings or grain offerings or, or if to offer peace offerings on it, let the Lord himself require an account. So what are they saying?
So say so yes, we have we we have not built an altar contrary to God's commandment. We have not built an altar to offer burnt offerings. We have not built an offer uh, an, an altar to offer grain offerings or to offer peace offerings. And if we have, let God require an account from us. Like God judge us, you know, and judge our intentions that we did not build this altar for that reason. Okay, so what would be the reason then that you build an altar but you are not going to offer on it burnt offerings, grain offerings, or peace offerings. Hmm? So one way is it could be like a memorial, like we are building this altar, just like when they crossed the Jordan River and they put stones, they took uh, 12 stones, one representing each tribe, and they made like a monument of the stones so that anyone who goes and sees the stones uh, would, uh, would remember the how God would provided for them and they crossed the Jordan River at this point and so on. Okay, so it could be a memorial. What else? Okay, so you're saying maybe they there are other sacrifices other than the burnt grain peace offerings, and they would offer those. But if they offered those, then that also would be against God's command because they weren't supposed to offer any sacrifices on this altar, right? So they're saying we are innocent, and we have not broken God's command, and we are not offering sacrifices on this altar. So why would you build an altar if you're not going to offer any sacrifice? So we said one reason it could be a memorial. It would be like a community. They go visit them. <laughs> so here's what he's going to say. But in fact, we have done it for fear, for a reason, saying, in time to come, your descendants may speak to you, uh, your descendants, saying, what have you to do with the Lord God of Israel? So he's saying what? He's saying, now we all know that we are all one people and that we are all the 12 tribes of Israel together. And we know that you settled on this side, and we settled on this side. Okay? We're all on the same page. We all worship the same God. But in the future generations, right, after a long time has passed, what might happen is you people on your side of the Jordan might forget that we are actually part of you, and that you will see us as like a foreign nation. Okay? So he's saying... Um, you will come to us and say, what do you have to do with the Lord God of Israel? Like, you don't live in Israel. Like, you don't live in the main part of Israel on the west of the Jordan. Um, and, you, you, you know, we are around the tabernacle. Where, is, where are you, right? For the Lord has made the Jordan a border between you and us, you children of Reuben and children of Gad. You have no part in the Lord. This is what they're imagining that some future generation might say. You have no part in the Lord. Right, because you are living far away from us, so your descendants would make our descendants cease fearing the Lord. So, so they, they would say, like they would convince the people, they would convince the Reubenites and the Gadites and the people of Manasseh on that side that they are have no connection with them. You know, like like from a from a, a matter of like remembering history, like remembering where did we come from, where 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 who are we as a people, where did we come from, how did we get to be here, right? Therefore, we said, let us now prepare to build ourselves an altar, not for burnt offering, nor for sacrifice, but that it may be 
a witness between you and us and our generations after us, that we may perform the service of the Lord before him with our burnt offerings, with our sacrifices, and with our peace offerings, that your descendants may not say to our descendants in time to come, you have no part in the Lord. So he's saying, so that in the future, you will consider us part of you, so that in the future, when we come to offer to y- on, on in Shiloh, when we come to offer burnt offerings and peace offerings and all these offerings, that you will not reject us and say, who are you? You are not part of us, right? So they will say, look, we have an altar just like your altar, right? We don't use the altar as an altar, but it is like a symbol to, to, to show that we have the same faith as you. We are the same people as you. Therefore, we said that it will be when they say this to us or to our generations in time to come, that we may say, here is the replica of the altar of the Lord, which our fathers made, though not for burnt offerings nor for sacrifices, but it is a witness between you and us. Far be it from us that we should rebel against the Lord and turn from following the Lord this day to build an altar for burnt offerings, for grain offerings, or for sacrifices besides the altar of the Lord our God, which is before his tabernacle. Now when Phinehas, the priest, and the rulers of the congregation, the heads of the divisions of Israel who were with him, heard the words that the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh spoke, it pleased them. So they were, they were relieved and comforted by these words, and they accepted this reason as a reason to build the altar that would not be used as an altar, but more just as a symbol. Then Phinehas, the son of Eliezer, the priest, said to the children of Reuben, the children of Gad, and the children of Manasseh, This day we perceive that the Lord is among us. Because you have not committed this treachery against the Lord, now you have delivered the children of Israel out of the hand of the Lord. And Phinehas the son of Eliezer the priest and the rulers returned from the children of Reuben and the children of Gad from the land of Gilead to the land of Canaan to the children of Israel and brought back word to them. So the thing pleased the children of Israel, and the children of Israel blessed God. They spoke no more of going against them in battle to destroy the land where the children of Reuben and Gad dwelt. The children of Reuben and the children of Gad called the altar witness, for it is a witness between us that the Lord is God. And glory be to God forever. Amen. Any final comments or questions about this? God willing, next time we will study the last two chapters, chapters 23 and 24, um, and we will be done with um, the book of Joshua. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. We thank you, O Lord, for this day. We ask you, O God, that you be with us, and you help us to learn the lessons, O Lord, that we find in your Holy Scripture. We ask, O God, that you give us the faith of the Israelites who walked with you and who followed your commandments and who did all, O Lord, according to your will, so to see, O Lord, how you worked in their lives and you established for them a kingdom. We ask, O God, that you establish your kingdom in our hearts and that we follow you, O Lord, and are obedient to your commandments to see, O Lord, how you will dwell in us and how you will manifest yourself in our lives, how you will transform us and how you will reward us, O Lord, for our faithfulness. Through the prayers of St. Mary, Archangel Michael, St. Paul, St. Mark, and all your saints, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father who art in heaven, 
hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The love of God the Father, the grace of the only begotten Son, our Lord God and Savior Jesus Christ, the communion of the gift of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Go in peace. The peace of the Lord be with you all. Amen.